Welcome back to our series, the last message of our series that we call Verses. Uh, my name is Philip, one of your ministers. Why do we call it Verses? Well, here's why we call this series Verses. Jesus was uh, pretty adamant in the lives of his followers, and this is the time where Luke, the, the gospel that we're in all year, takes the time to write what Jesus said about things that happen in his followers' lives that battle it out against one another. There are things, if you say you follow Jesus, that you will have to face and work through and battle through, and Luke takes the time to write them down, and we get to address them, and that's what this whole series has been about. So thank you for joining us, and this is our last message. And last week, we left off with something that we came to call active readiness, because we found out last week when Jesus was talking to those who were very active in their faith, to those who were his closest followers, that we must always be ready. Now, ready for what, you might ask? Ready literally for the end. Jesus warns them, be ready for the end of time, your life, and always be ready to share with others the hope that you have, to walk with others on their journey following me. It's called discipleship. And it's what every follower of Jesus is called to do if we are to get active in our faith. What this does is it gives followers of Jesus a sense of urgency. Not hurry, that's a different thing, but a sense of urgency. It causes followers of Jesus to live with a highly intentional mindset, which is one of my favorite words, is intentional. You see, when you look around, there are people of two different camps, there are people that life seems to happen to, and there are people that seem to act upon life. There are planners, and there are procrastinators. Now, here's what we know about each other. If you're a planner, procrastinators annoy you. And if you're a procrastinator, people who always feel like they have to have a plan, they tire you and they annoy you. Now, here's the beauty. Did you know that when Jesus was around, the crowds that followed him, there were still the same two camps of people that followed him around? There were those who were very intentional, those who were completely invested in the work he was doing. They're known as his disciples. They were like the 72 that he sent out to do some amazing things. There was those groups of people, and then there were people that were more part of the crowd that didn't really want to be invested. They were just interested. They were interested in what Jesus had to say. They were interested in seeing him do something cool like a miracle, but they, they weren't really invested. There were two different types of people everywhere that Jesus went, it seems. And this week is a little bit different. Last week, he talked to those who are invested. Last week, our sermon was mainly to those people who say they are active in their faith. This week, Jesus turns around. And he starts talking to the crowd that's present. This week, Jesus has something to say to the people who kept attending their gatherings and were, his gatherings and were just interested in what he has to say. And, and I'll be honest, some of you here today have had today's message, the theme of today's message, told to you in a way that makes my job today really difficult. It really does. Now, there are implications for every person in today's message, no matter where you are. But Jesus' words in today's message are specifically for those people who kept attending his gatherings and never changed their lives. They were for people who would come and sit and they would never take action. That's who he's talking to. They were for interested, it was for interested people. 
And it's a cry to become invested. But the topic, the word he uses is so hard for some of us to hear. And a lot of you have had a negative experience with it. I know I have. And here's how I know that. When I say this word, when I say the word repent, your initial gut reaction will tell you if it's been a negative experience or not. Repentance is hard no matter what, once we understand what it means, which we're going to. But oftentimes we've had it taught to us in a way that takes away the true beauty of what repentance actually means. You know what I think of? My mind immediately goes here every time I hear the word repent. And I'm a pastor. I think of the person on the street corner with a bullhorn. I I really do. I think of my wife's campus. She went to a university and she told me when we first got together, there was this group of people who said they were Christians and they would set up camp in the middle of their college campus and they would scream at people when they went by that they were going to hell if they didn't repent. But here's the bad part. They never told people how or why. And the, the worst part, this, this really made me mad, especially when I, she told me it was directed at a group of people she was in one time. I was like, say what? There was a, they would say this to groups of women walking by. They would scream obscene things at them because of how they dressed for some reason and they would tell them they're all going to hell. I was like, point me in their direction, baby, let's go. It it was really disturbing. Now, for others of you, you've had this word taught to you in a way that maybe you grew up in a household that was a little bit domineering. And maybe you were told growing up, you need to repent and submit to me because that's what God wants you to do. I am your boss. Maybe you had a negative experience with this and it could really be why. You walked away. And it could be why maybe you're at home listening because you'll never set foot inside of a church building again. It could be. But what we have been taught about repentance sometimes takes away from the true beauty of the word and of the action. You see, it's a transformative term. It's a life-giving term. It's such a beautiful term that today's dictionary definition doesn't even come close to what it actually means. The dictionary says this. It's a deep remorse or regret of a wrongdoing or a sin. That's what repentance is according to the dictionary. But there's so much more to the term Jesus actually uses. When Jesus uses it, it's a deep remorse and regret for sin in our lives, but it's also a change of direction. That's the word he uses. It's walking in the opposite direction of the wrongdoing, straight towards Jesus. That is what repentance is. And it carries with it a personal and absolute and ultimate submission to God as sovereign, meaning God is all powerful in our lives, not to people, but to God as sovereign. It includes regret, yes. It includes even sorrow to acknowledge what we've done or the way we used to live is wrong, but so much more. It it requires a pulling out of that and a run straight towards Jesus in the opposite direction. It's life-giving. It's transforming. But it's costly. It's very costly. It requires not a a little. It requires not a lot. But total 100% commitment. It's an investment. And for some of you, if, if, if we're honest... For some of you, maybe you've never felt or been fully invested in anything before in your life. 
There's a fear of commitment, maybe. So this will be new for you. For others of you, maybe we talk about it a lot today. Maybe you've become really invested on things that are distractions. Maybe things that you see all over our news. Maybe things that happen in your family, toxic relationships, ideologies that in no way reflect the heart of Jesus. And maybe we've come distracted and maybe you've fooled yourself. And I hope God would make that clear to you today. And then there's still others that every single day when you get up, you recognize that repentance is a daily thing. And when your feet hit the floor, you say, Jesus, I know that I have messed up. I know I'm not identified by that. I know I'm identified by moving forward in in, in your love, but I repent of those things. Let's move forward today. No matter where you're at, there is something here for you. And no matter where you're at, the application for today's message, we normally, I, I normally save application for the end, but I wanted to give it to you right away. Here's your application today to find where you are and take a step towards repentance. Because I've got to tell you guys, today's message is hard, but I want you to feel sorry for me because I've got to be the one to preach it. Because I really believe that Christians today, are in desperate need of repentance. And we'll get into that in a moment. But find where you're at and decide to repent and to get invested. Now, picking up right after our story from last week, it's still actually the same story. Jesus is teaching, and there's a crowd. There is always a crowd. And in this crowd, just like in the 21st century church, there's two types of people, right? There's those who are all in, and then there's those who are just interested And last week, Jesus was talking to the crowd, and then remember, he turns and he talks to his closest followers and tells them, never grow passive, always stay active. But this week, he turns his attention back onto the crowd, and he has some very important things to say to them. This week, Jesus turns his attention towards people who felt entitled, entitled to the goodness and promises of God just because of where they were from, because something you need to know about the crowd, there, was, there, there weren't probably any or very, very few people who didn't know God. They were people who were from the nation of Israel. They were people who knew who Jesus was. They knew who, who God was. And that's who he turns his attention to. They were people who felt entitled to the goodness of God just because of where they were from or who they knew. And Christians today, are actually guilty of that far too often. The, the entitlement camp is what interested people think belongs to them when they've never made a commitment to get invested and to truly repent and to invest in the kingdom work of Jesus. And, and what, I'm, what I see and what a lot of Christian leaders see in 2020 are Christians who are chasing after distractions rather than being interested in, then invested in the kingdom work of Jesus. And we have to address it. See, there's some in the crowd, and and they were probably the majority, but there's some in the crowd who are into current events. Current events in 2020 are crazy. And and, and And in this day and age, in Jesus' day and age, it was no different. There was some crazy stuff circulating the nightly news in Jesus' day. 
something about the Galileans and what Pilate had, had done to them. He ordered them slaughtered, slaughtered in the blood of their own animal sacrifices. I don't think they had the restrictions we have on our news, so they just kind of told it all. But it was really crazy stuff to have circulating. And the people in the crowd naturally want to know what the religious leader, the main religious leader of the day, has to say about these things. They want to know what Jesus thinks. And the reason they wanted to know what he thinks, we know better now, but they thought that bad things only happened like that to bad people. Boy, we know that's not the case, don't we? Good, bad things happen to good people all the time. But in that day, they thought that if something like that happened to you, it was because you were evil and it was because God was punishing you. So they questioned Jesus about the current events. It's a lot like 2020. What has happened in this year is people are turning to their religious leaders, their spiritual guys, their pastors, their teachers, and they're turning to them and they're asking what they think. Where do you stand on social injustice, on police, on the election, on the coronavirus, on masks? Where do you stand on these things? They ask the same thing to Jesus. Where do you stand on what's happening in our culture? And what Jesus says, I'm pretty sure most pastors would get fired for today. What he says is a shock, even to us. They ask him, what do you think of the current events? And here's his answer. And it's in Luke chapter 13, starting in verse three. He says this. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. On, or those whom the, or those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think they were worse offenders than those who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's a little bit harsh. We often forget about the times that Jesus spoke so, so strongly and so firm to, to, to people who were just simply asking, asking a, a simple question according to us. But how would you even respond to that? Like if you were to come to me and say, what do you think about all the deaths that the coronavirus has caused? And I said, well, unless you get on board with Jesus, you'll end up in the same boat. I don't think you'd ask me for advice anymore. And this is the essence of what Jesus says. If you blister at the word repentance, I really want you to listen in because you're like me. Every time I hear it, the true essence of repentance, here's what it means. Repent means to literally acknowledge the wrong that you've done in your life. I know it's hard for us to do. Acknowledge the wrong, acknowledge the way we've went against God's best, acknowledge the way we haven't loved others well, acknowledge it. And then to express that regret, but then accept the forgiveness of it. And then the turn and walk, maybe even run in the other direction, straight towards Jesus. We are not meant to stay in regret. We are meant to go forward and to move forward in the hope in the mission he has for us. That's repentance. And let me tell you something, church. It's a daily activity. A daily activity. And some of us, I think, have forgotten that. What Jesus does for you and me 
And what he tried to get this bullheaded crowd to see, <laughs> he stands in the way of judgment that is rightfully ours. That's what he does. He literally fills the gap between us and destruction. He stands in your way, fighting for you. And we often feel in our culture, we often feel that we can tell God what his values are because of where we live. And this is going to be hard to hear, but often we feel like we inform, what God's, inform God what his desires are rather than letting his desires inform our lives and our actions and our own. We feel almost like we can say, God, I know you think this is right. And we can even put scripture to it sometimes to tell him what we think he should do. The crowd mistakenly thought they could influence God's desires instead of letting his desires influence their lives. And I almost wonder if you and I do the exact same thing today. I want you to just listen in for a moment on this next part. And I want to tell you something about the God that you serve. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus, God is very patient. He is so patient. But according to his son, according to Jesus, even God's patience has a limit. And you may have never heard that before. Grace, that's not the issue. That doesn't have a limit. But the patience to accept the grace will eventually run out according to Jesus, because right after he tells them, essentially stop being so involved with the current events and get involved in my kingdom, he then tells them this parable, and a parable is simply this. It's a short story. It's a, it's a fake story that someone will tell to illustrate a truth. And here's what Jesus says to them. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now, I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, the vine dresser, Sir, let it alone this year also until I, put around, until I dig around it, put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, cut it down. In case, in case you missed the, the, the illustration, the vine dresser is Jesus. He's referring to himself. The owner is God. The tree is you and me. Here's the benefit for us, and I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is literally standing in the way of us being cut down. He is literally standing in the way of destruction, of judgment for you and for me. What a patient God to allow that to happen. To say, I want these people in my kingdom so bad that I will try and buy whatever time they need. But eventually, we have to make the decision. We have to say, okay, I don't want to be cut down. I'm ready. I'm ready to become invested in your kingdom. Sometimes we think, I think mistakenly so, that a message of repentance is for lost people who we would view as lost people. But church, remember who's in the crowd in this story. 
It, were, it, it was found people who were actually lost. It was people who knew the teachings of God. It was people who knew the, the values of God. But they became so entrenched in the modern culture and in the things going on around them that they missed the repentant heart it takes to follow Jesus. They missed it. And, and here's where we find ourselves in 2020. Oftentimes, we said this last week, we want his healing but not his leading. And could this be a warning for you and me as we follow Jesus in our culture today? This was so hard to write this message because I saw myself. And I saw myself getting sidetracked and taking my eyes off of my king and placing them onto debates going on around me. And I'm embarrassed to admit this to you, but do you know what I do? The first thing I do when I feel called out, even by God, is I go right to rationalizing my actions. Well, it's been proven that this, it's been proven that this, and I'm willing to bet you have too, because we see it. You know the main place we see this right now, and I think Christians really need to repent of this today. Look on your Facebook. Look on the things we retweet, on the things that we like, on the things that we say. And if there is anything that adds to the negative noise that is already there, we need to repent of that. We are a people of unity. We are a people of love. How do you prevent yourself from being the fig tree who does not bear fruit? There is a simple answer, and it's found actually in the parable. You become like, you do what the fig tree needed to do, and you bear fruit. Seems really simple, but you're probably wondering how you do that. How you bear fruit in your life is to do what Jesus says. I know it sounds simple, but when you look at all the stuff Jesus says, it can get a little daunting. So here's where I would start if I were you. I would start with his most important command. He was asked, what's the most important command, Jesus? And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, equally important. And this is what I think the church right now needs to repent of, what Christians need to repent of. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says it again in John 13. A new command. Love one another as I've loved you. By this, they will know you are my disciples. Let me tell you something, Christians. We are supposed to be disciples. And if we add to the noise of an already divided culture, we must repent. And we must get back on track where the only noise we are adding to this noisy world is the love of Jesus and the love for other people. We are in desperate need, I think, in our culture of repentance. And I'm saying that to you because I know I have had to do that as well. And guess what? It's every single day. It never stops. 
you have to decide where you fall. And I have a feeling first service was this way too. This is one of those messages where it's kind of like intense, but at the same time, it's like this, me- you, you feel it, don't you? Like, where, where do I fall? Are we just interested? And if you're interested, you'll be adding to the negative noise. Or are we going to be invested in the one thing we're called to do? The one thing. To share the hope that we have. To go into all the world and teach people about Jesus. Jesus doesn't care about our opinion on which party. He cares about our action to love both. He doesn't care about either of our opinions on a mask, on distance, on whether or not the virus is all made up. He doesn't care. What he cares about is you and I loving other people with every ounce of who we are because that is what he has done for us. And that's what we're called to do for the world. So if you're here today and you feel, wait, me too. But I don't want you to feel shame. I don't want you to hear shame. What I want you to hear is a chance to move in another direction, to repent as a family today, to move in the direction towards hope and unity. Because right now I see a lot of us moving in this direction, towards division, towards gossip, but I feel like Jesus is calling us now in, the, in 2020, what a chance the church has to turn around and to bring the world with us in an effort to unite God's people. And can you imagine what would happen if the church repented of that and started to unite around one thing? And that is Jesus, a risen Jesus who said to love other people. I can only imagine what that would do. I, I know where it would start. I think, I think social media would be a less dark place. I think our lives, when we walk into a room, people would think, well, they're a Christian or they believe that, so they're probably judgmental. Or these people believe this or don't do this, so they don't care about people. I think there will be less of that. And more of, you know what, we are all one people, united by the blood of Jesus. And we're going to go and bring that unity into this divided world. I invite you into that challenge and into that mission. Because it is a mission from our Father, straight to us. We are not divisive, we are unifying. And I hope that today you are encouraged to maybe have a hard conversation with yourself this week. And every day from here on out and ask if we are contributing to noise or the excitement of a risen king. Let's pray. God, we know that, uh, God, we know even though we try to forget that you speak so boldly and firmly to us. I'm thankful, God, even though just personally in my own life, it's so awkward when you do this. But when you, when you get after my wrong attitude, I'm thankful in the end. Not during, but in the end. I ask, God, that you would help us have a reality check as your people. We apologize. We repent. We repent of pulling our culture and our world in a negative direction and contributing to the noise. And we submit to your authority, God, to be a people of hope, love, and peace, and joy. 
I pray, God, that if anybody in here, myself included, we feel that hint of regret, remorse, or maybe guilt for the way that we've conducted ourselves during conflict in the past, during the last year. (laughs) Father, we, we ask that we can just lay that at your feet and we can move in a new direction. We know this message is hard, but we know this message is a hope-filled, joy-filled message. So we ask, God, that we would um, be reminded daily that we would put you back on the throne of our lives. You, even though it seems so silly to pray over the things that we post online, but it's, it's real. We ask that we put you on the throne of every post, of every email, of every comment we say, of all that we do. And we ask these things, God, give us the boldness to do them in your name. Amen.